I think leaders can live the thinking. They can always say to a frontline worker, how is the child doing? And I think they're legitimizing the language that social workers at the front line would have been using anyway, but saying this is actually the language with which we're going to be leading. This is the Hidden Power podcast, where we are interested in how the world works, how it doesn't work, and how to get it working better. We are your hosts, Ed Straw, my co-host and guest in episode one, and me, Philip Tottenham. In each episode, we hear from people working at the leading edge where governance is attempting to bring about positive change, who have found themselves stepping back to look at the system in which they operate. In this episode, Eileen Munro on progress in the field of child protection. Eileen is Emeritus Professor of Social Studies at the London School of Economics. She is the author of the Monroe Review into Child Protection and through its extraordinary success has become established as a pioneer of systems thinking. Anyway, here she is speaking at the launch of Ed's book back in April 2020. It's through experience that I have learned the value of taking a systemic approach to solving a problem. In 2010, I was asked to undertake a review of the child protection system in England by the Secretary of State for Education. And I began by framing the problem in a new way. There had been several major reviews of child protection over the preceding decades, and they had all primarily seen the problem as poor frontline work. And so most of their recommendations were about increasing control of those workers to get them to perform to a higher level. So they're bringing in more and more guidance, more and more procedures and rules, and then checking compliance by having targets and performance indicators. My reframing of the problem uh, involved taking a broader systemic look and asking whether the frontline were being helped or hindered in working with families by the central and local governance and the organizational processes. I produced nine recommendations that were mainly on change in governance. So it was about reducing the amount of rules coming out of central government. Their subsequent revised statutory guidance was reduced from 400 pages down to 97, also abolishing most of the targets around timescales and reducing the amount of data that had to be inputted and collected together and sent to central government. And the change was also to the national inspection process that was a major driver of practice. They had been inspecting on on how well you were doing a compliance, but they are now using a framework which is looking at evidence that you're positively helping children and families. And they are slowly changing the priorities in local government as a result. So those changes gave local children's social care departments a great deal more autonomy and then the ability to find new ways of getting feedback from children and families about whether they were helping, and also then the ability to adapt as they saw new problems emerging. And since then, there were many, the government funded a lot of innovation projects to try and use that autonomy. And I worked with one that involved working with 10 local authorities, implementing signs of safety as an organizational approach for everyone and so needing whole system change. We made extremely varied progress amongst those 10 using the Ofsted inspection judgments 
some of them went up to being outstanding, while others actually sank down to being inadequate, which allowed for a considerable amount of analysis of what were the factors that mattered. And a really crucial one is about the leaders understanding how to think systemically and to realize how many things that they had seen as in separate little pockets in the organization were actually having a causal impact upon what children and families were experiencing. The lessons that I learned from all of this is, A, changing governance is hard, and I think that the progress I made at the um, child protection issue was partly that it was blindingly obvious to everyone there was a serious problem and you needed a new way of looking at it. But it was also a brand new government after 13 years of Labour government, so they had a sense of not being able to be blamed for picking out the problems. We also had the rather unexpected benefit of being allowed time to make progress, because for the last few years the government has been so absorbed with Brexit, and then more recently and very tragically with the pandemic. And at the local level, what, what becomes very clear is how difficult it is for people to understand what systemic thinking in practice looks like. And I think something that makes this even more complicated is that an awful lot of people think they understand it, but what they're really doing is just sticking to their current worldview and making it a little bit more complicated. So I'm hoping that this book by Ray and Ed will actually help people make that huge conceptual leap away from the rather static worldview that they have into understanding why a systemic way of thinking is so important. I found that there's a great deal of interest from child protection services around the world. And the more junior you are in the organization, the more convinced you are of my analysis. It's about getting the national politicians um, to endorse it, as well as the actual child protection agencies. And that becomes a stumbling block because child protection and the risk of a child death is so, it's both very, very distressing, but it's also politically very damaging. So to actually let go of their sense of control and to learn to have confidence in a new way of controlling things is a very big step for them to take. Speaking specifically on child protection, I think the, um, the government has a research dimension to all this innovations funding it's given, and that is um, showing up quite well how the places making progress are making whole system change and changing the way they're getting feedback and, and what they are doing to learn whether they're succeeding or not and, and moving away from the old targets kind of mentality. So I think that's one place for a narrow subject area. I think leaders can live the thinking. They can always say to a frontline worker, how is the child doing? What's the child experiencing? How have the parents responded? Rather than what they might have been doing before about you haven't met the timescales. And I think they're legitimizing the language that social workers at the frontline would have been using anyway but saying this is actually the language with which we're going to be leading the service. But being visible is incredibly important, it seems, you know, whether it's virtually or in person, but of actually showing that you're talking to families, you're talking to workers. I mean, in some authorities now, the director will go out 
on-home visits with workers just to keep them grounded in what the work is really like and show that they really understand what the work is like so they don't just get hooked on the idea that beautiful computer data is good enough. I get the impression that more and more people are getting an understanding of systems thinking. It's, it's spreading much more slowly than the coronavirus, unfortunately. Interesting how Eileen has come at a very significant social problem, child protection, in a similar way to Julian with people with multiple disadvantages. And they're both bumping up against this centralised, systematic, target-driven, procedure-heavy system. In Eileen's case, she has been able to change some of it and, and some of the ways in which central government operate have changed significantly. Julian is still banging up against that particular glass ceiling and Eileen has shown what is possible. We've got the same issue. How will this spread or will the existing systems of governing essentially squash it? If you want to know whether a particular organisation or quango or governing instrument is going to be resistant to change, go and check the pension scheme because basically the more generous and secure the pension, the more resistant the people will be in it to change. Because if you like, their long-term interest mm. is in the pension, for goodness sake. You know, what yeah. have you not seen this as it were? And some of these pension schemes are still, and certainly have been, remarkably generous. I mean, the police, the central civil service, the EU actually is one of the, well, depends whether you regard it as the worst or the best, depends whether you're getting mm. it or so that's always a good measure as to whether there's going to be interest in changing. So I thought of framing of that in terms of the risk at the highest level, that it's politically very damaging if things go yeah. wrong. There's a difficulty there. But also she mentions yeah. this discrepancy with people who think they're using systems thinking, but are only complicating their own lives by yeah. trying to do it. Yeah. And that also is bound up in this risk at the highest level. But actually, this is a very enabling framework. There's two big points there. One is that we need to change the system of governing, and that will change the politics. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the other thing is that the people who are doing this need to be educated and trained and developed and experienced. So my co-author, Ray Eisen, at the Open University, runs a very large programme applied systems thinking in practice through distance learning where you can get a proper training you can get a proper training elsewhere but you can't just pick someone up and say okay off you go and be a mechanic or indeed off you go and be be a brain surgeon you need to be trained educated and developed in terms of the politics, I mean, this again is why the political system essentially gets in the way. So, mm. I mean, I think as we all know, a child dies often in hideous circumstances and it's where are the social services, you know, mm. and then the media get onto a witch hunt, which is sort of what they do. In this case, it's the director of social services and we're going to blame that person rather than applying a modicum of intelligence and saying, okay, let's have a look at the system. 
You do see this happening now, where people, even journalists, will say, oh, this is a systemic issue, so mm. we're not going to leap and find someone to stab. But the politicians, not least because they've drawn so much power centrally, they've drawn so much power to themselves. And we're now in this crazy world where actually citizens expect governments to solve every problem there is, rather than appreciating that a lot of problems are for us to solve. Because of the politics, it does make it tricky Mm. for them to respond. But in the long term, they and we have to understand that they cannot control everything. Again, we're back to Ashby's law. How on earth can a government minister actually be controlling the child protection for a child in Leeds or wherever it is? Well, you can't. Um, Let's get real. And again, because there are no comprehensive, established feedback mechanisms which are independent and reliable and aren't the governments trying to prove they're doing a good job because we don't have that feedback which grounds everyone in the reality of Mm. the outcomes the results of what we're trying to do here politics runs riot it's all over the place i mean politics is essentially out of control as a process and party politics particularly And it needs to be put back in its box. You know, if you take something like child protection, is this a political issue? Do we not want in the rich society in which we live mechanisms for child protection that work? Is that a political issue? I don't think so. So the question then is, well, how do we get them to work? And that's not politics, that's systems thinking. One thing that she mentioned, she has this key question where she's asking, are you helping or hindering the front line? Mm. And that's how she sort of reframes the whole effort. And that seems to be a good example, a very good example of having a simple political symbol within the organisation for people to work towards. The crucial thing is that question turns the whole system up on its head because it says the person we start is actually the child, the, I don't know, user, consumer, whatever you want to call that person. We start, we start with the object, as it were, mm. and then we go to the people who are trying to help mm. that child because that's where it happens. That's where the service happens. It doesn't happen in all of these piles of bureaucratic mm. processes. It's always worth bearing in mind that a law, what is a law, what is a regulation, this guidance, Well, actually, it's words on a piece of paper. Mm. It doesn't actually do anything. You might as well screw it up in a ball and toss it on the fire for all the use it is. Things actually happen at the front line. And the question is, how can you best get them to happen at the front line? One of the things that I particularly picked up on there is the notion of senior management and politicians need to do this as well, staying grounded Mm. with these services. I remember Tessa Jowell in the 80s before Mm. she became a minister in the new Labour government when she was one of the assistant directors in Birmingham Social Services. She would go and sleep in the hostels because she was partly responsible for, uh, I think it was caring the community and the hostels for the homeless. She would go and sleep in the hostels 
And doing that sort of service sampling should be an integral part of every public service manager's job. If your map is not the territory, to use a bit of a cliche, then you're not going to be coordinated to reality. There's yeah. a necessary gap. So the only way to update yeah. your map is to, to look at the territory. Yeah, and, and to get a proper... I mean, that's a very good analogy, actually. You know, in many respects, the systems thinking is a proper map. And if you Google systems mapping, there's vast acres of it. The other thing um, that I thought was particularly interesting, well, all of it was interesting. So when she did it, it was for a new government, so they weren't going to be responsible for the past. And this, again, institutions get so gummed up, and governments and political parties with their history and what they've done and constrained and restricted by that. And that's an absolute disaster. She was talking about the learning within the organisation so that the people within a particular child protection department, that through doing what she did and applying the tools and techniques of systems thinking, the management there and the staff there would learn about what was going on, what was really going on systemically, And to learn is to change. Mm. That's the crucial point, you know. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Hidden Power podcast. And of course, you'll find further links in the show notes. In the next episode, Julian Corner, CEO of Lankelly Chase, the philanthropic foundation on authorising change at ground level. So... I hope you'll join us then. Goodbye.